just realized how weird that title actually looks as I walk up here and look at that. If you ever wonder, young people, what's wrong with my generation, you have to understand we grew up with violent cartoons. <laughs> and it warped and twisted us. There was this guy, for instance, named Popeye. You've never heard of him, I'm sure. Uh, I think they took him off the air because, you know, he, again, the excessive violence. He was just this little pipsqueak of a sailor man, you know, and, and he walked around and he always had a good attitude, you know, you know, and, uh, and he had very small biceps, but gigantic forearms with a tattoo, and he had a girlfriend named Olive Oil, and uh, yeah, uh, he had a little laugh, you know, he got uh, 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 and stuff like that, and yeah. Yeah, thank, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll write that down in my diary tonight, yeah. Uh, appreciate that. But anyway, uh, he had this nemesis, and, and the guy's name was Bluto. Actually, he was Bluto up to 1957 when there was a copyright dispute, and he became Brutus, but that's another, you know, that's another topic for another day. Same guy, basically, just changed names. Uh, and and, and you've got to understand, Bluto, or Brutus, was about 1,000% bigger than Popeye. And uh, there would always come that moment, you know, they were only like three-minute cartoons or something most of the time, maybe five minutes on a long, long stretch. And, uh, but there would always be that moment where Brutus, Bluto, would be running off with uh, olive oil against her will, and she'd be like, oh, help, Popeye, you know, and, uh, and, and he would see what was going on. Now, you have to understand that though he was very small, um, he had a, a secret weapon. He had a superpower, and that superpower was spinach. If he ate a can of spinach, it never could be fresh spinach, it always had to be the rotten, you know, canned kind, um, which was actually, I think, a ploy of big spinach to try to get us to eat more spinach as kids. Um, nonetheless, if he ate a, a full can of spinach, he would be suddenly imbued with superpower, you know, he would, his muscles would inflate, and it would always come at the last minute, too. He's always, like, beaten to a pulp before... He actually ate the spinach. And, and we kids, we'd be sitting there going, Popeye, eat your spinach. Come on, man. And we're like, why is he not eating the spinach? We're looking at each other, you know, on the sofa going, why isn't he getting the spinach? And then finally it would dawn on him. Like just, it seemed like a moment too late, but practically. But he'd eat the spinach and, uh, and, he, and he would just put, put the hurt to blue tone. All would be well with the world. All within the span of about three minutes or so. The question we couldn't answer, though, throughout our childhood was why so long to get around to remembering that resource, which is right there, right there, just there for you to take, and, and you're, just, you're just slow to get around to doing so. Now, it seems to me we have an oversized enemy, and his name is not Brutus or Bluto, I wouldn't even go with Satan on this one particularly. I mean, yes, Satan is an enemy, but I'm not even thinking of Satan in particular this time. Uh, you know, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil that we typically talk about as our great enemies. And the enemy really in view today is the flesh. It is our, it is our sinful flesh. We are tempted always to, uh, to be overcome by sin when it comes to our, our, our sinful natures. And if we go back to the book of Colossians, Paul warns the Christians there against those that come along with these other ideas about how you make progress in the Christian life. How do you reach maturity? How do you grow? How, how are you even saved? 
And their answer, of course, were all of those things. They talked about uh, certain days uh, of the year, Sabbaths, new moons, fastings, other, other you know, prescribed harsh treatment of the body, asceticism, um, visions, worship of angels, all these things they, they were putting there as necessary. And look at what Paul says about those things. He, sa- he says it very clearly. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are, and here's the, here's the kicker, here's the critical phrase, but they are of no value. They are of no value in stopping the sinful or the indulgences of the flesh. Do you get what the problem there is then? It's, the problem is they don't work. That, that's the problem. I think I remember a Popeye cartoon once where he opened a can, but it, one of those off-label ones, you know, where uh, the label had fallen off and it, and it, didn't, it wasn't spinach. It didn't do him any good. Like, that's, that's kind of what's going on. Paul's like, yeah, for all of this, they get you caught up in all of these things, but, but, but it's just not doing you any good. It, it's not helping you. What is the proverbial can of spinach for the believer? Because you can see that's where it's kind of going, right? Do you, do you know the answer by now as we've worked our way through the book of Colossians? The answer is Christ. We could phrase it um, maybe more exactly as Paul presents it as that being in Christ, that union with Christ. He's, he's said this again and again and again. He's brought us back to the fact that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ and we dwell in Christ and being dwelt uh, in and, and, and by and, and so forth. We have this union through which all of the benefits, all the goodness and all the strength of God flows to us. We are dead and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That's the way this is, this is tracking, the, the shadows that, we, that have been talked about are of no value. And then he gets to this verse 5, and it's been, driving to, it's been driving this whole way. It's almost as if Paul has set this up to get to this point. So this is really the payoff. This is where it ends up. Because ter- some of you have been sitting here for two chapters and nine years, however long it's taken through those two, two chapters. But you've been going like, okay, what's, where, what do I do? You've been looking for, well, what do I do? How do I make this practical? Uh, Which I don't think that should be always what we're asking ourselves. How do we make it practical? But but there is. There is a practical aspect. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And you see the word therefore, which tells you that everything he's been saying has been built up to this. And what he's going to tell you now is because of what he told you before. It flows out of that. So here's the big idea. In union with Christ, we have valuable resources against sinful indulgences. You see what I did there? Going back to the, like, that they were of no value. In contrast, what he's saying is you do have value. You, you do, you already have what you need. You have your proverbial can of spinach. It's right there. You just need to employ it. In union with Christ, we have the means to put to death our earthly impulses. Let's look at that real quickly. Earthly impulses translates more literally. And by the way, just an aside. When I say more literally, you understand that more literally doesn't necessarily mean better as a translation. Like if if we literally translated it word for word as best we could, it would make no sense to the English reader. So I'm not... But, but at its root, if you, if you boil this down, it would say something like the body parts on earth. <laughs> what is earthly in you? The body parts on earth. 
doesn't make a whole lot of sense maybe, but um, this kind of gets back to the idea of what he mentioned in chapter 2 where he was talking about the flesh, about the sinful indulgences of the flesh. Now, is flesh bad? You really should say, well, yes and no. Depends on how Paul is using it. Christ is come in the flesh, John says. And we, if we don't believe Christ has come in the flesh, then we're not even Christians according to the Scripture. So it's important to understand that the flesh, in one sense, when we mean the material body, God made that material body. The body in itself is not wrong, is not evil. But when we use the word flesh as, as it, well, at least in a certain context, we're talking about the sinful propensities that are inherent within our flesh. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore... Going back to what he said before, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, you have the word, therefore. This is the application. Those things didn't have value. Being in Christ, being in union, being seated with him in the heavenlies. All of what I've said about that union with Christ it brings you to this application, which is to kill our earthly sinful members. We're to kill them. We're to put them to death. And that doesn't mean that we cut off a hand, and it doesn't mean we poke out an eye anymore when Jesus said, if your hand offends, you cut it off. That's, uh, you know, that's hyperbole. It's, it's a way of teaching. Rather, what it's saying is we are to engage our members, our, our fleshly members, those things which are part of our body, so that they are not being yielded to sin. We're not allowing the sinful impulse, the bodily, you know, sensual impulses of our bodies forcing us into doing things that, are, that, that we ought not, that are against God's command. Let me give you a cross-reference, and I think it sheds a lot of light on it. This is Romans 6, 6.13. Do not present your members, there's same, same idea, same word, present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, there again, the bodily members, the parts of the body on earth, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So we're supposed to be engaged in a battle with those body parts on earth, as it were, not actually literally doing violence to our literal bodies, but subjecting them to Christ, subjecting them to God's, God's commands, making, making them obey. Romans 8 says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, there you go, there's the word put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. So it's not the body in and of itself, it's the deeds of the body. It's the the sensual, sexual, uh, false, sinful impulses of the body. In union with Christ, we are free. Free from the tyranny of the flesh of these wayward members. Have you ever had your arm go to sleep in the middle of the night? Yes, a few of you have, maybe when you were a kid. I don't know what it is. For the last six months, this has happened to me, I would guess, four to five times within the last six months. And when I say fall asleep, I am not talking about a little tingly feeling. 
I wake up, and it's, it's a shocking moment when I wake up because I, there's like this sudden awareness, I cannot feel my left arm, and I sit up in bed. <laughs> what? Oh my goodness, and I grab my arm. I can't feel my arm here when I grab it. And when I grab this, it's like I'm grabbing something foreign to me. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. You know, and it takes about 30 seconds for my arm to wake up. It's, during those 30 seconds, it's like, what if I killed my nerve? What if I, what, if I was, what if I was that way so long that I just, you know, put it completely to death and now it's never going to work again? And then, you know, oh, yeah, there you go. Whew, that's, that's a good feeling when, when it all comes uh, back to you. But, um, yeah, I haven't killed the arm, thankfully, not yet. I haven't killed it, but at that moment, there's no communication happening. There, the nerve is just not taking any of my directions whatsoever. It's cut off. Being in union with Christ, having our minds fixed upon Christ, set upon the things which are above, not the things are, that are on earth, have, a, have that kind of effect on us, not literally, but spiritually. We don't put our members through a wood chipper. That's sort of the Fargo you know, method of how you deal with the, you know, the, the body when it's in rebellion against you. Please, Christian, don't do that. I mean, there'll be moments in your life where you're tempted. You'll get so down about how you've been and what you've done, yet you'll just be like, oh, I just should, just, oh, just should put the whole thing through a wood chipper. Please resist the urge to do that, okay? If, that, if that's what you're thinking, that's, that's not. But we are to disconnect from the sensual, sexual, sinful impulses of the body. How, how amazing is it just the idea that we're able to do that? The old way, the old way that, that we've been looking at throughout the lead up here where Paul's dealing with the false teaching, the, the old way could not do that. Paul said it was of no value. It didn't work. If it worked, well, that would be another thing. But it doesn't. But look at the, look at the power of union with Christ. All of those verses where you kept thinking, man, is Jay repeating himself? Is Paul repeating himself? We're in Christ. Christ is in us. We're with Christ. We're dead. We're up. We're down. We're, but wherever Christ is, we are. You know? and, you, and you're like, what is all that about? Why do we have to just keep going over that and over that and over that? What, what Paul, he's trying to bring us to see the totality and, and the glory of what it is for the Christian to be in Christ. It is an amazing power that, that we are in Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our life, we saw last week. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And from that, from that flows all of these good things. A lot of believers don't understand, well, they don't understand a couple things. One is they, they don't understand the possibility of this. And maybe that's some bad theology. Like in our eagerness to preach the grace of Christ and that it is only Christ and Christ alone in his blood and his work and not our work that, you know, not of works lest anyone should boast. In our eagerness to preach that which is correct, we may sometimes give the impression of, well, you're just a sinner and it's just, nothing's ever going to change and nothing, nothing about that will ever change. You're just always going to be exactly where you are. That's not a Christian doctrine. Rather, the doctrine of salvation is that being saved by Christ, being indwelt by Christ, living in him, we do not give reign to our, our members on earth. 
to, to our flesh. We don't. We, we, in effect, we have a can of spinach is what I'm trying to say. You, you understand? There's something there. You know, in emergency, open can of spinach. You, you can do it creatively. You can just squeeze it the old-fashioned way like Popeye. But you, there's a way of us overcoming even the impulses of the flesh, and that is through union with Christ. Here are the things that Paul wants to see us put to death that are aspects of this. We're going to go through them. Uh, If you have small children, just explain everything to them later. Yeah, if you have to reach over and hold their ears at some point, I'm fine with that. Um, So first of all, put to death sexual immorality. All right, the word sexual immorality, we need to go through and define terms a little. Um, You know, basically, you get the gist of it without me explaining it, but I'm going to still explain it anyway. Uh, The Greek word is porneia, so you hear that, porneia, it sounds like something you've heard before. Pornography uh, derives from from that same Greek root, but it covers a lot of ground. At its root, what it really amounts to is sex outside of marriage. Sex out of, if you just boiled it down is sexual intercourse outside of marriage. It would be infidelity, promiscuity, sex before marriage. Uh, um, even the sexual sin of Sodom is th- used, uh, this word is used of it, but there uh, in Jude, Jude 7, it also attaches the word unnatural desire to it. So it probably, it's kind of taking a word that usually means a man and a woman doing what they're not really permitted to do, right? But, um, but yet nor- normal <laughs> relations, you might say, um, but outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. Sex between a man and a woman outside of marriage is sin. And we are all tempted. We, every, everyone is tempted. We live in an over-sexualized age. I would have never imagined as a, as a young person an age where you could literally pull a screen out of your pocket and you could just indulge the flesh as long and, and, and as gross as you could possibly imagine. And it's right there. It's right there at your fingertips. Yeah, that's a crazy level of temptation that we live in, in today. People can swipe right um, and I wouldn't know left or right, but I Googled it, okay? I just want you to be aware of that. So I, I don't, I've not had any of those dating apps. No, I'm, I'm happily married. Thank you. But anyway, you can swipe right on an image, you know, in a major city or something. You could be in the arms of a complete stranger in less time than it took your ancestors to hitch up the wagon and get halfway to town. I mean, that, that's, that, that is how bad it, it is. It's everywhere, and yet... That's not an excuse, is it? The fact that it's ubiquitous that doesn't, doesn't excuse it. It was everywhere in Sodom and Gomorrah, too. And, yeah, fire fell from heaven in that case. It was readily available in David's day when he sinned with Bathsheba. It was wrong then. It was wrong for the Colossians. It is wrong for us. We don't get a pass because the days are evil. You, you, you get that, right? But here's the beautiful truth. We're not enslaved. we got to get rid of that mindset. We are not enslaved to our flesh. We are not condemned to endlessly yield to the bidding of our members on earth. As believers, we, we, we have the can of spinach at our disposal. We have something that changes the whole dynamic. Yes, the sinful flesh persists. In one sense, we've died to it. In another sense, that those, those members on earth, as it were, continue. 
But we have, a whole different, we have a whole different victory that is at our fingertips in Christ. In Christ. If you have sinned, and who hasn't, even in these ways, if you have committed sexual immorality and, and you feel shame and, and guilt over those things, you know, it is true that some of those things will bring permanent, lifelong um, results, <laughs> consequences. Like, you could have a child. <laughs> And yeah, it's, it doesn't become right. Like getting, it's two wrongs don't make a right. Trying to get rid of the, the baby other than adoption, that's, that's not a solution. But that would be a long-term outcome that, that you can't unwind that. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You could, get, uh, you could have emotional damage. You could have a disease or whatever. If you're a pastor and, and you fall into this, then you're going to have to find another line of work, right? Because... Yeah, that's, that's something as, as a path, you go into that, you go through seminary, and you got one, one thing for sure you know coming out of seminary, that is, if I, if I go there, I won't be a pastor any longer. So there are all kinds of consequences, and we don't want to make light of the consequences. And at the same time, what we need to understand is there is grace and there is forgiveness in Christ. The same one in whom we can have victory over these things, that same, it is in him that we have the forgiveness of sins through the gospel, through his blood. And so we, we take that and we accept his cleansing and his forgiveness and we move on. But we don't move on as one feeling like, well, but I'll just keep falling into that same sin over and over and there's not going to be end to it. No, no, we, th- these things are meant to be put to death. And we have Christ in order that those things might be put to death. Secondly, put to death impurity. You're like, what's the difference between impurity? Um, I would have Googled around a little bit more on this, but that would have been kind of dangerous. Uh, <laughs> so sexual immorality would be, that would be, yeah, how do we, nor, nor, normal garden variety, male-female attraction, but then, you know, do, doing that outside of the context of marriage. That's immorality. We said that. Uh, impurity goes a little further. It's, more, it's a more general word, but it includes sexual sins of, you know, and again, I know you, we've got kids present, so I'll just say uh, sexual sins that are more perverse and more deviant from, from the norm. If you looked up in a dictionary... Um, the metaphorical dictionary, I guess. But if you looked up immorality and you saw the, the picture there, it would be David sinning with Bathsheba. That would be immorality, right? He sees a woman. He's got a natural impulse and, 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 and drive, and he allows his sexual, um, you, know, you know, the rest of the story. But then if you looked up uh, impurity, you would see a picture of the Marquis de Sade, um, if you don't know who that, I thought about Googling to see if there was a more modern uh, person I could come up with, but I was afraid to. So I'd say look up Marquis de Sade, but maybe you shouldn't do that either. Anyway, it's more perverse. It's more perverse. Both are sinful, um, but this would be, impurity would be getting further and further away from God's original design for intimacy. The remedy in this case is exactly the same. The remedy is Christ. Christ died for our sins. We have forgiveness through Christ. Even sins that would, you know, and, and I think for a lot of Christians, if, depending on how far down that road you went before you became a Christian, I can imagine there would be things that you would just wince at thinking about your participation in those things. And yet, even impurity is covered by the blood of Christ. And you are not 
condemned and you are not condemned to remain in those things. You don't, as a, as a Christian, just because, and you know, oh my goodness, the day in which we live today, those are just orientations. We don't call them impurity anymore. Well, that's just an orientation of this, that, or the other. And, you, and there's an endless list of all these orientations, which coincides with the fact that biblically, there's no end to the ways that we can be impure. Um, yeah. Um, but you're not condemned to remain in that. People think, oh, if you ever felt a certain impulse, well, that's who you are. You know, you're just, you're just given over to that. You felt that once, okay, that's who you are. It's not what the Bible says at all. Have you ever heard of the uh, Christian podcaster by the name of Beckett Cook? Anybody here, Beckett Cook? Yeah? Okay, a few of you have. Interesting guy. You know, I, I don't know whether I agree with him on absolutely everything. I've seen some stuff where it's am I a little outside of my comfort zone. But um, it, it, he has a very cool testimony. He was gay. Like, that's all I have to say. That's how gay he was. I don't need to really put any amplifiers on it. That guy, that dude was full, just, yeah, gay. And uh, by his own admission, I'm not throwing epithets here. That's, that's what he admits to. Uh, lifelong, long period of time. Like, he was, a, he was a, I don't know, probably in his 40s, I'm guessing. And somehow God brought him to a church service one day through a whole series of events. And he gets in there, and he's just overcome by the worship of God and then the preaching of the Word of God. And it was like just kind of a lightning bolt moment for him. He, was, he had like a road to Damascus-like experience. And according to his own testimony, he went from being gay to being not gay, sitting there in his conversion. Now, is that the way Christ always delivers everyone from their impurity? Does everyone get immediately delivered and they no longer have any impulses whatsoever toward this? No, I'm, and, and I'm not saying that. But the great news that we need to see in this whole book of Colossians and where this text is, we're finally being funneled to that focal point. What we need to see here is, is that we do have that can of spinach that is right there. We are in union with Christ. And being in union with Christ, we have the possibility of leaving those things. And we have the, we have the power of leaving those things behind. And we have the command to leave those things behind. Yeah. When it comes to impure thought, this is just a little side note that I thought to add. Um, if, and I think young people probably uh, struggle maybe more um, as, you, as you age, you might start to understand and put this in perspective. But if you ever have an intrusive thought that is really impure, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that one. But if you ever have one of those weird intrusive thoughts and you're like, whoa, oh my, oh, just, mm, I need to go pour bleach through the one ear and let it run out the other because this, that was horrible. Where did that, where did that thought come from? And living in the age in which we live, people would say, hmm, well, that, that tells us where you're at. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I mean, in the course of your lifetime, you will have intrusive thoughts. Do they come from the devil? Do they come from the weird percolation of our, of our own brain cells? I don't know. That's not who you are. If you have that thought, don't get obsessive-compulsive about it. Just realize that that came from outside. It flew over like a bird flying over your head. You noticed the bird. You don't let the bird nest in your hair. I stole that but, uh, from, like, Augustine. Uh, but, yeah, you, you, 
you let it go. Don't worry about it. Don't get all bent out of shape. You know, tell the Lord and just move on. Next, put to death passions and evil desires. Now, what I see happening here, when you break down the definition of passion and evil desire, I could be wrong about this. I, I think there's a correlation, a natural correlation that seems to exist between um, passion and, and evil desire with sexual immorality and impurity, that they kind of, they, they kind of pair up there. Think about what we said. With sexual immorality, you're talking about sexual uh, relations outside of marriage, but sort of the natural male-female thing there. And, and the word passion here has to do with that kind of, that kind of lust, that kind of burning within your, you know, within your, your body and your heart to, to go after something that, that has been forbidden from you. Evil desire actually is like a, ratchets that up a little bit. Evil desire tends to be an attraction, a drive towards something which becomes quite deviant. And so I think the two kind of relate. Like if, if you looked at David, you know, we talked about David being a poster child uh, in one sense for sexual immorality. What drove him to that was when he looked upon Bathsheba, he let his passions that were aroused in, in his body to drive him to make decisions that he should not have made and to, to have sinned. On the other hand, you could think of someone like Amnon. How many remember Amnon? Amnon, it sounds like a transmission company or something, but it's, it, it was one of David's sons. And Amnon had the hots for his sister, right? half-sister, Tamar, but a sister. And he desired her so much, his evil desires were, were so great that he ended up taking her, taking her against her will. And I think that sort of fits the notion of evil desire. In either case, it's, it's inward, it's a powerful mental physical burning of desire toward what is forbidden. One is a little more deviant than the other, perhaps, but both are sinful, both are wrong. I, you know, I can't say when it happened, when these things became normal in our culture, but I feel bad for you young people because you've literally never lived in a day or age when this wasn't the case, but I remember I used to be able to watch sitcoms. Do you remember that, when you could watch a sitcom? It's so hard to find one today that you can watch it any longer. I remember it's probably two decades ago that I was watching one, and um, all of a sudden they were talking about pornography as a normal, just what everybody does. Everybody, everybody views it. Everybody gratifies themselves with it. And it was just put out there in the context of a, of a sitcom and uh, from that point onward, it feels like it's just, that's just everything, all of these deviancies, all of this passion and evil desire, it's not looked upon that way anymore at all. What are you told? Everybody does this. This is normal. This is normal human sexuality. It's all of this crazy, weird, you know, all of it, whatever it is, it's just the flavor of the day. It's not got anything to do with right or wrong. In fact, we're told, you know, that the war's already been won by the other side. And if, and if you think that not going toward this and not gratifying this, if you think that that's something that you should pull away from and, and, and not view and not engage in, that makes you weird. 
You're a weirdo. You're like the, you know, Steve Carell in the 40-year-old virgin. You don't, you don't fit this society anymore. And so what's unnatural has been dubbed as being completely and totally the well-adjusted norm for an adult. Guess what? The Colossians lived in exactly that same kind of world. They lived in exactly that same kind of world. Go to Pompeii. Some, I know Colossae and Pompeii weren't in the exact same location, but they are part of the Greco-Roman culture. Right? Have, you ever been, have you ever been to Pompeii? Anybody ever go to Pompeii? Right? When I say close your children's ears, like there are parts of Pompeii you cannot take a tour of with your children, or at least they'll discourage you from doing so, because back in the day, you know, um, they, they couldn't put things up in, in words because not everybody could read, so they would give you pictures of what services were being rendered in a particular um, establishment. And you walk along what would be kind of the red light district of Pompeii, and you're like, oh my goodness. Oh my. So this has, been, this, has been the, this has been around forever. I mean, yes, we, we are living in a godless and depraved age, but this has been true forever. And Paul can confidently say to the Colossians that we have a valuable power against these things, that we are not just given over to them, that we do not have to just constantly yield our body to this. It's in Christ. Put to death covetousness. Of all the sins that are listed, covetousness here is the least sexual in orientation. Although, there is certainly, when you talk about coveting your neighbor's wife and things like that, that, that could be included as well. But, but what is covetousness? Sometimes that gets translated greed. Because covetousness is wanting what is not really rightfully yours. Like, it is okay for a human being to, to, to want to, to have his or her needs taken care of. And so we pray to the Lord, you know, give us this day our daily bread. But covetousness goes way past that. And it's like, I want it all. I want everyone and everything and all that there is, and I want to have it for myself. It should serve me and serve my pleasure. Again, I hate to pick on David, but I have to kind of pick on David because David, again, he's the poster child for covetousness. Absolutely. Absolutely is. Think about the sin with Bathsheba. He sins with the wife of Uriah, his loyal soldier, servant, guy, you know, loyal as he could be, and, and David sins. He's got all these, David had all these wives, for those that don't know, and yet he looks at the wife of Uriah. And you remember Nathan the prophet coming to David, and he tells him the little parable, the metaphor, except he doesn't tell him it's a metaphor. He tells it like it's really happening. He's like, hey, there's this poor guy. This poor guy had one, one lamb, just one little lamb. He didn't have anything, no flock, you know, no, no, no sheepdog, nothing. Just, just so he treated it like it was his child. He let it sleep on his bed, you know. Um, <laughs> it's just a beautiful picture, right? And then there was his neighbor who had flocks and flocks of, of sheep, and, and he decided to throw a feast, and he thought, I don't want to kill one of my sheep. So he took, he took the pet lamb from his poor neighbor. And are you feeling the blood rise up within you? You're like, that's horrible. That's covetousness. That's greed. That's the worst form of greed. That's how David reacted. And then Nathan goes, you're the man, which is so good. It's such a burn. Yeah, covetousness, you, ju- you just want it all. And Paul equates this with idolatry. And you say, well, how is it idolatry to want everything? Well, in essence, when you want everything for yourself, what are you really saying about yourself? 
I am God. Exactly. I am God. Serve me. Everything that exists in this universe is here for my pleasure. So we're serving a different God, and that God is ourselves. Suddenly what you see here as you look at this is you, is you really do see the spiritual, biblical truth that when we offend in one, we offend in all. This cuts across everything. All that you thought, well, it was just about sexual sin. No, it gets, in, it gets into our sins against neighbor, our sin against God. It's the two tables of the commandment. It's love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. All of this is caught up in these things, in, in the members of our flesh. How do you cure that? How do you cure that kind of heart disease, that kind of problem that, it, that dwells in our flesh? And Paul's answer is die with Christ. You could even go further. His answer is you've already died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ is your life. And, the, you know, the life you're living, you're living through the power of Christ in you. By his spirit dwelling in you, you're putting to death now the deeds of the body. It's like you're up in heaven with Christ, and there's your body, the bodies of your, the members of your body down on earth, and you take a drone strike, and you like, you just take them out. That's kind of the, that's kind of the imagery here. Finally, in union with Christ, we escape wrath. Years ago, I went on a statin drug. Yes, this is a sermon all about Jay's health problems. Um, Anyway, that's, a, that's for cholesterol, for those that don't know. And I'd been on it probably a year or two, at least a year, I know that. And one night, I'm casually taking my statin, and I think, huh, what's that little yellow label on the bottle? Do you know what the yellow label generally means? It's like, I think my doctor should have told me that, that I should have read this yellow label. And uh, nobody had ever told me. The doctor hadn't, the, the pharmacist hadn't. And I read it, it's like, um, do not take grapefruit while taking this medication or you will die. You know, I didn't quite say you'll die, but it's like, you know, big letters, you know, all capitals, do not take this with grapefruit. It's like, it's really lucky I hate grapefruit because I could have been dead 12 times over and not, not having seen that yellow label. And Paul kind of throws in a yellow label here. It's after he's ticked off all this list of vices, he says this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Yeah, so that's the wrath of God is, is, the, is the warning label here. What's the wrath of God, you say? A lot of people don't know what the wrath of God. Uh, I would define it this way. The wrath of God is God's holy, just, settled, punishing anger against our sin. And Paul reminds us here that this is who we once were. Now, depending on the translation, and I don't want to go down that road too, too deeply, some translations include a, a, a phrase that says, you know, among whom you once walked, the sons of disobedience among you, whom you once want, uh, walked. Some translations don't have that, that verse. So it either means we walked in those sins or we walked in the midst of those people who committed those sins while also ourselves committing those sins. Make sense? You tracking that? No? Lost you? Anyway, because of that, we were children of wrath. Look at the parallel from Ephesians where it says, it gives us the same biography. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's that same word from our text. In which you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So we walked and we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the members on earth, that, that whole thing, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what does that tell you? It says that in your nature and in your deeds and in your heart and in your mind, you were by nature a child of wrath, meaning you were a recipient. You were under the wrath of God. And if we follow Paul's argument through this whole thing, the wrath of God, you will not deal with the wrath of God by trying to be better in these areas that we just discussed. Like the worst conclusion you could draw from this would be, okay, so there's the wrath of God. What I need to do is I need to get rid of as much sexual immorality and impurity and evil desires and passion. If I could just get rid of those things, then I'll get rid of the wrath of God. And that would be the wrong conclusion. How is the wrath of God dealt with? It's dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. You heard and you listened and you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ who was put to death for our sins, who bore the wrath of God and by grace through faith you came into union with Christ and in Christ you enjoy all all of what God has to give. All the, the treasures of God have been given to you through Christ, through coming into union with him. Therefore, right? It's the therefore. It's because that is true. Because the wrath of God has been dealt with, because it's been propitiated, you are now in union with Christ and forgiven. And that's why you are to put these things to death. That's what was true. You walked in them. You lived with them. But you've come away from that. Where's your life now? With Christ, hidden with Christ in God, God, Christ at the right hand of his Father. That's, that's where our life matters. That's where our life, our spiritual life really resides. And so now, out of that power, live. I watched a lot of Popeye cartoons back in the day. I was thinking about that and it made me sad. I could have gotten by with one Popeye cartoon. It, they were all the same. I'd hate to, like, like, I'm sure on Judgment Day, God's going to say, okay, and the number of hours watching Popeye were, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. But, you know, there was something good about it, which was um, in the midst of all that violence and stuff, which we took to the playground. But that's another story. Um, the really good thing as a child was this simple view that, that there was evil and there was good and that when the chips were down, there was always going to be a can of spinach. It never failed. It never failed. And maybe I'm being simplistic here. I don't think so. I think I'm just telling you what the text says. You, dear Christian, you have that reality. You know, right? You may feel hopeless. Maybe you feel entrenched right now in some of these sins. Like, we said you walked, we used a past tense. We said you lived, we used a past tense. But you're like, I'm still struggling with that, even now. And if you feel entrenched, and you've bought into the idea that, that well, I just can't do it, that I, there's no change. 
that can't, you know, I can't, I can't be any different. I can't live any different. I'll never know some, I'll never know freedom. That's just my cross to bear. No, no. Therefore, therefore, because you are in Christ and Christ dwells in you, put these things to death. Be about the business of putting these things to death because Christ dwells in you. If you're not in Christ, then what can we say? And I think we've made it pretty clear, but I'll just say it really clearly again. There's, there's like a yellow warning label. And I, the doctor and the pharmacist may have failed to explain this to you, but I'll explain what the warning label is. It's the wrath of God. God's wrath is upon sin. It must be born. Christ bore the wrath of God for his people. All who come to Christ, who trust in him, who believe in his name, he ha- they have that forgiveness. They, they have that, that, that atoning work of Christ. But without him, you do not. Without him, you would literally go to God based on your works and how you have lived, and you will not withstand his wrath on that day. That is the simple truth of the matter. We offer you, we point you toward that sort of can of spinach, if you will. We're we're pointing you toward Christ. There is a power of God to forgive you and cleanse you and make you his child, and that's the gospel. Believe the gospel today. Turn from sin. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. You'll be indwelt by Christ, and you will begin to put these things to death. Let's pray. Father, encourage us with where you have brought us in the text that that there really is a putting to death of these things. Lord, forgive us where we have lost confidence in that. And encourage someone today, Lord, a person who names your name and and, and they walk with you, but but they've fallen back into this or that area that, that we've covered today. I pray, Lord, that that you would comfort them with the promise that that you have of not only forgiveness and and atonement, but also, Lord, in your promise that that we can be dead in you and see these things, these members on earth, being put to death daily. We ask for strength for that. We ask to be encouraged in that, for boldness and just the joy of knowing that this is something you want to do and can do in us. And we yield ourselves to that. We pray, Lord, that if somebody hears this today and they're not a Christian, that they will be drawn to this, that they will fear your wrath and seek your love through the forgiveness and, and, and the um, atonement that is offered through the gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.